The Ram Dhamma's Kingdom by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 11, The Face of the Basin. Yugi was a mysterious character to Aaron and especially to the sector leader's sister, Daka. At first, he talked extensively to Aaron about his background. Aaron was content to listen patiently to the man who had saved his life. A man who talked of spaceships, cracks in the universe, and turbo cars on a planet of his remote past. But this man of the past was still allowing his thoughts to dwell in the past. He would spend long periods of time just staring out the window, contemplating everything he had lost. Very slowly, with Daka's help, he was becoming more and more adjusted to life in the basin. His unique ability to think he could do anything had not left him. They listened in awe as he would tell them how he was going to leave the basin as no man had done before. Not only that, he fantasized about actually getting back to Earth itself. In the rest area, an extensive sector park composed entirely of hard, white concrete terraced up the hillside. There were only a few spreading trees, some recreation and game areas, and a central covered aqueduct. How can you say you've never played Hooper? asked the dark-haired Darka. She picked up a large, spongy orange ball and rolled it back to McGee. It's like a game I know, called basketball. Strange name, it sounds logical. You have so many stories, McGee. And I know Aaron knows more about you. Why won't you tell me? She asked as he picked up the large ball. Some things are better left unsaid, Daka. I can see Aaron's point of view. He looked up at the 15-foot-high tube, surrounded on three sides by a blue backboard. As he hurled the ball into the air, it spun end over end, one side being top-heavy, and it bounced off the sideboard and rolled into the tube. Sheer luck, McGee. She laughed as she waited for the ball to come down the tube. Luck? McGee smiled. She rolled the ball back to him again. You want to see luck? He took the ball and moved it to the next tube. In a sweeping motion, he pushed the ball upward, right through the tube without hitting the sideboards. I still say it's luck, she said. He took the ball out of the tube and bounced it on her head. Luck, huh? All right, all right, I'll concede just a little skill. She ruffled his blonde hair. They walked across the court, past several groups of people, to a spot along the terrace wall. McGee, you said something about understanding Aaron's perspective. And I said there are things about me that people here in the basin would not understand. Earth, distortions, spaceships, and whether you believe me or not, such ramblings could cause you trouble, as well as your family. Aaron, your mother, your father. And what about you? The Zones would not tolerate such fantasies. Fantasies? You know what I mean. I don't mean to doubt you, McGee, but these things talk about are beyond my mind's eyes. I, I find what you say fascinating. You don't have to apologize. I'm beginning to wonder about it all myself, he said, looking down the hillside. Where did Aaron say he was going? That is a surprise, she said. I think you'll like it. It will improve your life here. Improve my life, he said, pretending to think deeply. Hmm, my own personal sector. Oh, Daka, you and Aaron are so kind. No sectors for you, she said, opening her eyes, and she smiled. 
My own personal zone, then, he joked. Stop, this is really important. She laughed, and then she whispered, It's all out of order. Normally I don't approve of such things, but I like you. Even with my wild stories and my brooding. Especially because of your stories and your brooding, she said, holding his wrist momentarily. You know, there is a gathering tonight. I mean, a meeting in the Locust. Yes, would you come with us tonight? Well, he began, but Aaron was on his way up the side of the terraced hill. They stood as the larger man approached. He could sense Docker told McGee something about the surprise. You have told him. Only that it is a surprise, she answered, looking up at McGee. Even though my sister and I share different views of the Basin's future, I trust her with my life. And as you know, McGee, your movements have been very restricted. You have to spend needless hours within the hut or be accompanied to us to areas not readily patrolled by the zones, he said as he reached into his jacket. He pulled out a small red box and opened it. Inside was a bright silver identity strip just like the ones worn by every inhabitant of the basin. I see you're making me official. You think that will fool the zones? More than that, my friend, this is not just a facade. This band is an entire life history, your manufactured history. How is this possible? I thought you said the zones controlled everything. I'm sorry to say that is mostly true, but our people in the basin are clever. They have things we know, things we are capable of, that the zones will never know. You mean insurgency, said McGee. I would like to be a member of any group that challenges this system. I'm afraid that is not possible. Not that I want to question your in integrity, McGee. I know the whole problem. No one would believe me. And deep down inside, neither of you really trust me. And I don't know if I could have been as tolerant as you have been to me. In any event, we can return to the hut and implant the strip. You must learn your identity, answered McGee, knowing he would be more a part of the basin from that time on. McGee, said Docker, taking him by the arm. You haven't told me whether you whether you will go to the gathering in the Locust tonight. Sure, with my new identity band, I should have figured you'd ask me out of the area. You will find the meeting informative to the true nature of the basin, McGee, Aaron told him. Lies and indoctrination. You don't give the kingdom a chance to prove itself, Aaron, said Docker. To prove itself, Docker. I think the kingdom has done a most effective job in proving itself to the basin people. You can see it every day, when there's not as much food on the table, or you can't find a new jacket. They're trying as hard as they can. If you would just cooperate with the zones instead of fighting them. I will not argue with someone who will not listen, he said as he turned to McGee. Let us go back to the hut, McGee. It will take some time to fit the band. See you tonight. He smiled as Aaron led him away. Tonight, she said, raising her brows. Daka, still arguing with her brother, brought McGee out of his hut. They moved across the hillside, through the back roadways, toward the central road that led to the Locust. My friends from the field, Cockhorn and Selah, are already on the main roadway with Shara and Graker. Why do you call your parents by their first names? Why shouldn't I? She asked as they moved along. I guess I can understand. Aaron told me everything is planned here. 
Yes, there is a building in the Locus where we are manufactured. Grown in a test tube, said McGee, shaking his head. I don't know what that means. My band has borne me in Sector 33. Then I was indoctrinated at H5 by the Zones. Then I was assigned to the family. The Zone Banks set all characteristics to assure proper family structure. It is filled with loyal Basin people. They walked onto the main road. Loyal Basin people moved along toward the locusts in the distance. I find the fact that a computer or zone bank designs family structure to be disgusting. Why, that's the way it is. So I see, he said, looking at his band. According to my past, my parents were both killed, supposedly in a factory explosion ten years ago. I worked in Factory 16 and Sector 33 all my life. Now I have been assigned to work in the fields. Now I can keep an eye on you, she smiled. I may just have to keep an eye on you, he laughed as they ran ahead to catch up with the others. Shara was a woman with short reddish-brown hair, and Gregor was about McGee's size, with dark hair shaved down to his skull. Of course, neither parent bore even the remotest resemblance to Daka or Aaron. The only similarity was reflected in their mannerisms and voice, as well as a closeness he failed to understand in this land of impoverishment. Where have you been hiding your friend all this time, Daka? Hiding? asked Daka as she looked at McGee. What Shara means, said the ruddy-looking Gregor, is how did you meet McGee? How did I meet McGee? She asked with open eyes. Well, I... Aaron, introduce us, said McGee. You see, I am new in this sector. Oh, an assigned new job, asked Gregor. Yes, I will be working in the fields with Daka. Aaron thought it would be good if we got to know each other. You will be working with us, too, said Cackhorn, a young man just recently married to Daka's friend Sela. Well, your new assignment will be a change, said Gregor. Perhaps you can talk some sense into my son. You know about his activities. Yes, said Shara. We can only be thankful that the kingdom hasn't stationed zones permanently in the neighborhoods. Yes, I seem to have noticed that they remain in the locusts, observed McGee. Only because the kingdom and the predicators want peace. The system is the system, said Gregor. All this talk of revolution can only make things worse. I'm sure that the predicators will talk about the insurgency tonight, said Daka. And the food shortages, replied her mother. They will deal with our problems if we just give them our time and support. Just look at all these people, said Gregor. Insurgency hasn't got a chance. McGee, although keeping his silence, was stunned by what he heard. Their lack of understanding was staggering. They had every reason to be in the streets fighting back at the kingdom. Yet, they upheld its principles with a fierce loyalty, accepting scarcity and deprivation as a normal way of life. He wanted to speak up so badly, but he had to remain silent. The crowd became congested as they neared the locusts. Through the opening between the buildings, McGee could see the bright tower lights shining on the gray stone. He thought back to the wild food riot less than a month before. All the damage, including the food procurement doors, had been effectively repaired. There were zones stationed everywhere 
just waiting for the slightest insurgency outburst. He looked upward as they walked beneath the building connector and into the square itself. The yellow letters flashed against the red background. Production sector 25 gathering. McGee felt a certain uneasiness about it all. The way they gathered here without question below the cold, stone-gray buildings. As they all looked upward toward a screen that was only meant to condition and instruct them in the kingdom ways. He crossed his arms and waited. The screen brightened. They all applauded as an overhead shot of the basin, probably taken from a zoomer, came into view. Several sectors passed by below and the mountains towered in the distance. Ocean sectors were reflected with the same densely packed huts, roadways, and electrical lines. As the zoomers swung back toward the mountains, a voice began talking to the basin people. On behalf of the predicators, welcome to the gathering. Echoed the voice around the locusts. Scenes of basin people working at their jobs began to fill the screen. They seemed so happy at their work, smiling and performing their assigned tasks with the ever-present specter of the zones watching in the shadows. People of the basins, working toward production goals, toiling in the mines, the factories, the fields, in every facet of production. People working within the kingdom for the maintenance of life in the basins, cooperating with the zone protectors for the betterment of all life in the basins. These workers in a food processing factory in Sector 52 have reached production capacities never known before. All over the basin, workers have boosted production to new levels. McGee looked at the jubilation on their faces as they applauded what was on the screen. They wanted, because of their deprivation, to believe exactly what they were told. To do anything else would be an admission of their own condition. And with no escape from the basin, life would be fruitless. The first predicator recently toured a reconditioned plant in the 8th sector. The voice told them as a picture of a rather rotund man dressed in a shimmering green suit, was shown shaking hands with a worker in the plant. Everyone seemed very contented. Machines hummed along, stamping out containers as the first predicator walked proudly through the factory. Then he spoke directly to the basin people. As first predicator, I have found the spirit of the people throughout the basin to be improving. Morale is up, walk and radical thinking of the insurgency underground has been greatly diminished since the sweeping defeats of almost a month ago. The people of the bases know their goals can only be accomplished through the kingdom. It is the kingdom that provides the sustenance and spirit to all of humanity. He said, turning to a dark-skinned man to his right. I know the second predicator thoroughly agrees with the recent assessment. Thank you, first predicator. I have been receiving reports from the zones throughout the last month. I have been shown graphically how the insurgency movement is faltering and will fade from view. In a recent tour of the basin, I have personally found the people to be extremely loyal to the kingdom. People are working together as never before. They know the insurgency is an open wound to the healing of the good, basing life. Insurgents can tear down everything we hold dear. And for what? For selfish control, for power. They have admitted as much. The first predicator will now elaborate on the prescribed course of action to stamp out any semblance of the insurgency. More workers and plants were shown as the first predicator came back on the screen. 
Thank you, second predicator. He said as more pictures move by. Figures speak for themselves. Production and raw goods up 46%. Agricultural output, despite the insurgency propaganda has told the Mason people, is up 21%. All areas of industry have grown in the past few months. Life in the Basin is getting better and better. McGee seemed confused, looking nervously upward at the screen. He could hardly believe what he was hearing. He longed to be able to leave and go back to the hut with Aaron. More than ever, the goals of the insurgency were sinking into his head, such a startling contrast to the way his life had been on Earth. He began letting his mind wander as he looked around the locust. The third predicator was about to speak to the basin people. His voice spewed from the speakers, and McGee's head riveted toward the screen. Anxiety permeated every nerve ending in McGee's body, inexplicable anxiety from an unknown source. His emotions and his intuition had preceded what was now reality. In the bright blue room, the third predicator looked directly into the camera. McGee's eyes and mouth were unconsciously drawn open. His whole body seemed to quiver. The voice was terrorizing. The eyes dark with mystery and cold. By sheer instinct, he backed away from the screen, trying to grapple with what he saw. The shaven head was just as he had remembered it. Only the red satin robe of the worldwide church had been shed for the shimmering silver suit of the third predicator. Dom, Dom, what is it? Asked Daka as she looked at his contorted face. He shook his head in total disbelief as the Ram Dama, now the third predicator of the Basin people, continued to speak. No! cried McGee, having backed up to the gray stone building wall. No, it can't be! he said, raising both his fists toward the screen. You! You! He moved along the side like a frightened animal as the voice echoed from wall to wall. Daka began to follow him through the crowd, watching him act as if he were running for his life. We know the good of humanity is reached only by attaining the goals of the individual's sacrifice and production. Everyone will benefit from the glorious days that lie ahead. We will see more improvement in the quality of life for all the basic people. Working in conjunction with his own protectors, we will attain the greater good. McGee covered his ears as he ran from the locust. Even outside, the Ram Dama's voice filled the air. He ran down the main road with Docker right behind and staggered over to a white wall along the forest area. She cried loudly as she ran over to him. He still covered his ears. She looked into his eyes. McGee felt the stark terror and misapprehension from the Ram Dama's sudden re-emergence into his life. McGee, what happened? You look scared to death, she said holding his shoulders. No, Daka, it can't be, it can't be, it just can't be. You are agitating yourself into a frenzy, calm down. Can't be, what, what can't be? The room, at the top of the palace. No, are these earth things that you're talking about? I have to talk to Aaron right away, Daka. Can't you tell me? No, no, he said quickly. His mind was moving like an overworked machine, trying to sort through the facts bit by bit. The Ram Dama had used the room above the palace to travel through time. But how and for what reason? McGee, I'm sure I can help you, she told him. 
How long has the third predicator been here? You are frightened by something he said. I think. How long has he been here, Doctor? McGee yelled. He has always been here, of course, just like the other predicators. Timeless? Timeless? Who is this man? Now I know what happened. I know what really happened at Petrero Grande. We can go back to the hut and talk to Emma. McGee nodded slowly as she took his arm. The Ram Dhamma's voice faded as they traversed the long roadway back to the village. Join us again next week for another adventurous episode of the Ram Dhamma's Kingdom. Produced by Fitton Theater of the Words.